All right, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Gaucho Amigos. I'm Alex. Today, my guest is Tim Good. He's a friend uh, and a great guitarist. He's someone I've been bonding over Steely Dan with for a long time and uh, really just music in general. Uh, more so during the six or seven year period when we both lived in New York together, but he now resides back in his hometown of Pittsburgh. So we met over Zoom to uh, hash it out, talking about all the Steely Dan guitarists. We kind of go through them uh, one by one, comparing their different styles and musical influence. And uh, of course, uh, as always, there are some detours uh, along the way in our conversation. Uh, before I play the episode, I just want to quickly mention that this is the last Buzzsprout episode. Between now and uh, next Tuesday, I'm uh, pulling the big lever, which will switch everything over to FM Pods. Uh, I will have updates on Twitter uh, with details about it, so stay tuned and uh, keep an eye out for that. All right. Without further ado, this is uh, me and Tim Good hashing it out about guitar players. Enjoy. When I uh, when we did the episode of Winston, he was uh, he basically gave you credit for his interest in Steely Dan. He said you t- you showed him bad sneakers. Do you remember this? Because I've been trying to trace the absolute root of, you know, my own Steely Dan thing. And it, I know it comes from Winston, but Winston is giving it to you. So you may have actually started this entire thing. It may trace back to you, Tim Good. Like, Just like Southland Tales. <laughs> that's true. That was also you. And that's become a thing as well. Uh, Although I, I feel like that, that had to become a thing. It's just too insane. It right? was, was going to, no matter what. <laughs> When I was first getting into music in general, so like middle school, I was like buying albums occasionally and like digging through my parents' CDs. My stepdad had a copy of A Decade of Steely Dan, which is the greatest hits. Yeah, I have it. And it has a what I think is kind of terrible cover art, which is kind of funny. Like it's like the least effort anyone's ever put into cover art. Just a crumpled yeah. piece of gray paper. <laughs> That's true of a lot of Steely Dan album covers. There's a lot of bad ones, but at least those, like Can't Buy a Thrill or Royal Scam, felt like like a lot of effort went into them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Do you know the one anyway, for like another, there's another Greatest Hits one where it's just like Steely Dan and graffiti on like a yellow garage. <laughs> have you seen that one? Yeah, I have. I, yes, yes. That one may actually be worse than the... Uh, than the decade of Steely Dan. Steely Dan Gold also is a bad, is bad cover art. It could be any band's album, yeah. literally any. Yeah, and there's so many like incredible pictures of Donald and Walter or like and Skunk and these guys from back in the day. Like, why didn't they just use that? Like, it perfectly they perfectly capture who those guys were and what their music sounded like. I don't know, but so yeah, I, I my stepdad had the decade of Steely Dan, and I remember very well putting it in my uh my walkman i think that was an era where i was list i would listen to a couple tracks on a cd i'd put in my my bruce album and listen to thunder road and born to run and then i'd turn it off got it 
I'd listen to FM and maybe Babylon Sisters, I think was track two and then kind of. And then when did it pick up for you? Was it kind of around post-college? Because that's when I was kind of getting into them in Winston also. I started buying the albums probably late high school, early college. Okay. I remember there. I took a year. Like I, I dropped out of Allegheny College in early 2009 before we moved to New York. And I had a copy of Royal Scam in the car that I used to just listen to on repeat. I just didn't take it out of the CD player. So that was like an extremely uh, formative summer of listening to that particular Steely Dan record. And it's still, it's always going to be my sentimental favorite. Yeah. And as a guitarist, you probably enjoy the, because that's one of their more guitar heavy, guitar focused yeah, records. One of the most, uh, it's probably the most, I mean, the most uh, pyrotechnical yeah. guitar work of any of their records for sure. And I feel like you were always kind of an aficionado of classic rock, kind of in general, like that was your thing. I mean, I know you also were pretty into indie rock, at least when we started hanging out, but like you were very, you you knew a lot of bands, like you would, you know, take these discography deep dives on bands, even beyond maybe the, you know, the expected like Dark Side of the Moon or, you know, the more expected obvious albums now. Well, that's how I always am with style. I get a mania for something. And then I spend months like obsessing over it and listening to nothing but reggae when I was living with Jess, you know, or, um, you know, reading like every Raymond Chandler novel in the space of like a couple months or something like that. Just, just like you, I, I finish one and I have to keep, keep diving into it, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And then, yeah, Steely Dan wasn't like immediate, but I do remember hearing FM and thinking, okay, these guys are great. And but you were cool still, with them because a lot of people were because a lot of people weren't cool with them. Like they thought they were lame. Even people who were into, you know, classic rock, they weren't on like the the coolest or whatever. That's never been an issue because I <laughs> like I also would have had uh, Genesis albums at that time, you know, and and uh, I'm trying to think. Squeeze. Squeeze. Right? Absolutely. Squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost associate Squeeze with you because I think you're the only Squeeze fan like I've ever met. Like, or that, you know, who's like really into I'm that. I'm a you know? major Squeeze fan. I, <laughs> mm -hmm. I was actually driving somewhere recently with uh, Pat and Paulina and uh, they put on Squeeze's greatest hits. And I was like, this is Tim's influence. Like no one else would be thrown on, like driving home from somewhere, getting in the car. I would come back. I don't I can't remember from where, but. They threw that on and we, they were like bopping to every tune. I, I was hearing some of that stuff for the first time. I said, it's good. They're good. Underrated band. Story. Listen yeah. to that one. He said, <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. So you, I, yeah. And I feel like when we started kind of bonding over music, I, you were for some things like that, you were kind of the only person that I could like, like Todd Rundgren, you know, was a good example of someone. You were the only person I could be like, you know. You know, something anything you like that like you got to check out you know wizard or, or todd or something you know so i saw todd rungren at the pittsburgh regatta <laughs> uh, yeah. for free in probably like seventh or eighth grade you know and the right after i remember there were uh, parachuting elvises that came down and one of them got uh, broke his legs or something like that like it was a really surreal sort of event holy shit wow 
So that made an impression yeah. on you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It deepened your Todd bond. Um, so you don't remember playing Bad Sneakers for Winston, like that song specifically? Because he, like that's, I said, he credits. No, that's kind of funny. Uh, it, that's like not one of my favorite Steely Dan songs. I don't dislike it by any means, but it's it wouldn't be like a top 10 mm. Dan song. So I'm not saying that Winston's wrong. I just don't. It's hard for me to remember. You know what I mean? Like I don't have a yep. uh, firm memory of it, but I believe it. You know what I'm saying? You may have played Katie Lied for him, and then that's the song that stuck out. Is that possible? Also, not that this also really entirely matter. possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take it. You know what I mean? So yeah, this entire Steely Dan thing can be traced back to that moment when you can be traced back to Peter, my stepdad. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's always going to come from a dad somewhere, I guess. Yeah, but, uh... yeah. <laughs> Two main types of guitar pickups that are used in electric guitars and pickups are essentially electromagnetic uh, microphones mm -hmm. there's uh single coil pickups like you see in a fender stratocaster and they, they're kind of pill shaped it's the best way i can say it with with six poles on them metal poles and then there's humbucker pickups which look like two single coils stacked together and those frequently are seen on gibson guitars les pauls hollow bodies and uh i think most of these guitar players are defined by their preference for one or the other. Like you sort of know who you're hearing because the um, single coils have a slightly thinner, more trebly sound. I, I tend to think of them as being more tactile sounding. Okay. It's like Jimi Hendrix plays a Stratocaster and single coil pickups. And there's this uh, almost like squishiness to the tone of a, of a Stratocaster. Versus, I should start listening for this. <laughs> well, you'll hear it now. Um, versus humbucker guitars like you hear yeah. Larry Carlton play. Okay. Or most Led Zeppelin albums or a lot of classic rock stuff like that um, mm. have a thicker, fatter tone, which there's the grass is always greener. You're always playing one and you want to do the other. You know, <laughs> Both are great. That's why both continue to exist. But you can definitely pick out certain parts like when you're listening to one of the early dan records you can tell if it's denny versus skunk not just on on the phrasing and how they play but but based on the the tone because denny tends to use humbucker guitars and skunk tends to use slightly thinner sounding single coils yeah i mean denny what are your what are your, what are oh, your thoughts so denny's incredible denny's yeah. one of my favorites i think it's it's worth mentioning that he's one of the few people who lucked into being in Steely Dan. Right, they responded to his ad in the Village Voice. Yeah, I think he was like living on Long Island and just posted a, a classified ad, and mm -hmm. Donald and Walter literally just showed up at his like house. And can and, you imagine? The, the ad said something like uh, "must have jazz chops," and I would say down to down to the last Dan record uh, 
Denny tends to play the most jazz inflected leads. Mm. Like there's there's more uh, Wes Montgomery and Kenny Burrow and stuff like that in in his leads than than um, even all the you know high paid L.A. session cats that they'd eventually get. Do you think that came from before he met Donald and Walter, or do you think he kind of evolved with their you know style and and songwriting? I think he was pretty developed uh, from the from the first record. So I I, I tend to think he's probably just a really talented jazz guitarist but uh yeah one of the only guys that just happened you know like kind of lucked to be in steely dan lucked into being in steely dan and then uh was still on got called back all the all the way through asia yeah i mean they're bringing in these you know you know legendary guitar players and then they're still using this guy that they <laughs> randomly found yeah. through a classified. Right. you can't say that about uh jim how do you say that jim hoder jim hotter yeah, Jim Hodder. Jim Hodder, he's not that there after 1975, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they scrapped most. They they moved through people really quickly and almost in a way that some people found found uh, unsavory. But, you know, they, they had a certain loyalty to Denny, I guess. Um, I mean, he was a founding member, so. And it makes sense when you listen to the solo on, uh, on uh, Gold Teeth. Yeah. Gold Teeth, That's too. Goldie, that's my favorite. That's one of my like absolute favorite solos in any Dan song. And I think that's my favorite Denny solo. I'd have is that one. It's so good. One of the most jazzified. Yeah. Again, even comparing him to to Carlton or, or, or Dean Parks or any of those guys. Yep. I think the uh best song to to focus on when you're when you're comparing the two Denny and Skunk is uh, obviously Spodosatva because it has extended solos from both of them. Denny's the first one, and Skunk takes it home at the end. And you can hear the difference in the tone. You can hear Denny has a thicker, fatter, jazzier humbucker tone, whereas Skunk has this, like, raw sound, you know? Because obviously Skunk can play jazzy stuff too, but he's much more dyed-in-the-wool rock guitarist. Yeah. So you hear all this, like, um, beep-bop type of phrasing when Denny's playing. Um, he's got the, how do I want to say it? Like he, he plays a lot of, <laughs> he plays a lot of chromatic notes. So in like, you know, jazz speak, like he plays a lot of wrong notes that resolve in the right notes. Got it. The way that, that, you know, someone like Charlie Parker might've done. Whereas um, Skunk's, the basis for that solo that Skunk plays at the end of that song is, is more in the blues. For sure. Yeah. And more in like like he builds up to like a sort of crescendo of of uh, faster notes. It has more of a uh, more of a an arc to it, whereas Denny's just kind of blowing, if if you will. And I feel like Walter's guitar style is probably more similar to Denny's, right? Doesn't he sort of have a jazz inflected? I mean, absolutely, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I tend to put him in between the two. Yeah, okay. He he, I think tends to use. Fender guitars, single coil, slightly crisper sounding guitars, but he has a little more of a propensity to go into a jazzier direction. So I think of him as being like a, almost uh, directly in the center of the two of them. Got it. Yeah. And um, thoughts on Skunk? Oh, I mean, I, I love Skunk. <laughs> Skunk's awesome. I was just watching the, uh, some of those Midnight, uh, Midnight Special 
yeah. videos last night. Those are great. Him playing the the leads from my old school, just like right on the spot there. Yeah. It's pretty awe inspiring to watch. Yeah, he was great. Although you can kind of see why they went their separate ways in terms of Absolutely. their style and I guess uh, ethos and I don't know. It doesn't yeah. feel like there's as much room for skunks playing on the later records. But then by the same token, you can't imagine any of those guys later on playing the solo on Ricky. It's true. And again, it's just more rooted in in bluesy guitar playing than than anything else. It, I, I guess maybe a good way to say it is that Skunk, unlike just about any other guitarist who would, who would ever play with him, Skunk was able to resist the temptation to play jazz music. I mean, I, so I don't have a ton of <laughs> a ton of like experience listening to Derringer stuff, but yeah. I do. I think he gets lumped in with you know all these '70s classic rock guitar players, but he could really do the the jazz rock stuff. I think more than people give him credit for doing. Okay. Uh, I watched a YouTube video maybe like a year or two ago, a while ago, of him playing Real American, just like Hulk Hogan's entrance music i don't know if you oh, ever, wow. <laughs> ever watched wwf back in the day i but, did as a kid yeah it's yeah, been a while yeah. I, i'm a real american you know that's that's a that's a pre-existing derringer song he didn't record it for hulk hogan oh yeah but uh it was a newer video and and it had like a long solo jazz intro and i thought yeah wow okay rick can really do it you know yeah it, it made sense at that moment like oh yeah that's why steely dan would hire this guy but uh but yeah, I tend to think of him as playing those uh, stinging slide guitar leads on Showbiz Kids. I'm not sure why they'd have him do that and not, not uh, Skunk, because Skunk yeah. can clearly do it too, as uh, evidenced by the, the Midnight Special video of them doing it. Yeah, well, that was kind of the beginning of their like uh, proclivity to bring on you know, guys to do one very specific thing, and that's it. You know, This was... is true. Although they were doing it even on the first record, Elliot Randall. Yeah. And the real and solo is still one of the most, you know, beloved and, and recognizable guitar solos in, in their in their discography. Because I think so, their I, Jimmy Page was like, did you you know Jimmy Page said it was like the greatest solo he's ever heard. Solo ever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Elliot Randall has that. Um, also using a single coil, thinner biting sound, has that, like, how do I want to put it? It's even more in the rock direction than than Skunk. Yep. And uh, he comes back on Green Earrings, the second solo. Which oh, is wow. really intense. Yeah, that's that great. Almost sounds like Van Halen y type of stuff. Yeah, he just goes in guns blazing on that, on Green Earrings. Here's a fun fact about Elliot Randall, or two fun facts, I guess, is that he was invited to join Steely Dan and declined. Well, for which, when was this? I think around the time Pratzelogic was being recorded or maybe shortly thereafter. So I, you know, he was right to not, <laughs> it wasn't really going to be a band anymore. He was also invited to join Toto. 
Really? Yeah, he would have been Steve Lukather instead of instead of Steve Lukather. <laughs> Steve Lukather, but um, Why do you think he declined? Do you know? I think he likes doing session work. I think he didn't want to probably have to like do too much touring and, and just like navigate a band. That would be my guess. He was doing pretty well. Like Yep. nowadays, you know, you think, uh, you know, Lukather is a way bigger deal, but at the time, it would have made sense. Did he also play on uh, Boss Gag Silk Degrees? Because I saw there's this SNL clip of him playing with Boz that's incredible, where he's like clearly just coked out of his cord. I don't think he's on the record. Louis Shelton, Fred Tack. Oh, Fred Tackett's on that album. I didn't realize that. Fred Tackett uh, has sort of replaced Lil George and Little Feet. Okay. I haven't listened to like any post George Littlefeet. Is that worth worth checking out? I mean, I don't want to say anything ill about one of my, you know, favorite classic rock bands, but I, I'm mostly there for Lil. But it allowed them to keep touring. They're one of those groups, right, where it seems um, it, like you you see the album cover and you kind of you think, OK, well, I'm not going to take this very seriously. But uh, yeah, they're they're excellent. I saw somebody one time compare them to a, a mix between the band and Steely Dan, which is something I've, you know, um, stuck with me. Something I was thinking about just preparing for this is that I think Larry Carlton is the maybe like the the prototypical Steely Dan musician, right? Like when people imagine Steely Dan, they hear Larry Carlton's guitar. Yeah, he's my favorite Like he, guitarist in in the in the whole, you know, the whole thing. I gotta go with Larry. he's impossible to compete with in Yeah. that regard. I mean, they also gave him all the best. things to do though I think like getting getting to take the solo on Kid Charlemagne you know that's like um, I don't want to say it's lobbing it over the plate because those are hard chords to play over I've I've done it Charlemagne's my specialty on the Pittsburgh wedding band circuit uh, Oh yeah, you guys do Charlemagne? occasionally you know uh, I don't Any really other? do weddings anymore but uh, No. you know if uh, if I'm if I was strapped for cash you know I show up and I tell him, by the way, I could do Charlemagne and I can close with it or something like that, you know? You got that in your back pocket. Do you ever um any other Steely Dan songs that you played? Uh, with wedding bands, Or just in general? in general, let's see. So the wedding band's done Peg. I've definitely done that. Uh, and I we did, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Home at Last. as well which was kind of a weird choice but you know that's what the people wanted uh, and then i did a show a few years ago on black friday with a just a band i was playing with at the time and i insisted that we learn black friday i wasn't gonna do it if we had didn't learn that song so <laughs> would you ever consider being in a steely dan cover band because they're all the rage right now i mean there's literally dozens and dozens of them popping up all over the country
I don't think so. It's a number one. It's a lot of work. <laughs> Ask Jeff Harrington. You know, he's he's got to like mimic all these guys. Yeah. And try to do his own spin on it. You know. Uh, so, John Harrington. Is that that's his name, right? The um. Yeah, you got it. I think you said Jeff. I'm sorry, wow. John. Jeez, I can't keep screwing this up. Yeah, I met John Harrington at Marked when I was busing tables. He was with the um the pianist as well. So yeah, I was I was starstruck. Maybe actually starstruck by I was I was I saw him come in and I thought that's Harrington. That's <laughs> Had you seen the Asia show mm-hmm. at that point? Okay. Mm-hmm. So you knew his prowess. Yeah. I, I knew he was a beast. He's a beast. Um <laughs> so yeah, no that's a no on the Steely Den cover band. Um, but you can play Charlemagne. I yeah, exactly. I I uh I don't like to take projects that I know I'm gonna fail at. So I would always feel like I wasn't doing it justice. Like if Are I doing... had to do skunk and then do Larry and then do, do peg and stuff like that. It just, I'd always feel like I was not totally doing it or something like that, you know? I, so I, I just, I would, I would uh, avoid it probably. <laughs> but you've done other cover band stuff. Cause didn't you, you, you were in a dead cover band, right? I was in a band that did a show of dead songs. Oh, okay. But it wasn't a uh, full-on dead project. Yeah. And I did a Birds tribute band last year for a little while. Oh, yeah? We did Sweetheart of the Rodeo as the first set. And then I grabbed the 12-string and we did the greatest hits for the second set. Cool. But I, I did that a handful of times. And it's like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. So you're not doing cover cover band stuff anymore? Not if I can help it. What's your What's your current project? Um, we just finished an album that's like half my songs, half, um, stuff that a, like elementary school friend of mine wrote. The band's called Cosmic Wind. Uh, but the band's completely defunct at this point. I know know Cosmic Wind. Yeah. You guys have been doing stuff for a while. We haven't actually all four been in the same room since before COVID. So chances of that. Yeah. But the record's finally done. So, you know, whatever that (laughs) and I play with my friend Dan Gecken, uh in a sort of alt country type of thing. We've been okay. doing we've been doing old old time gospel music for a while now. Really, which is has ups and downs. As a guitarist, what is that like to play that kind of music? It's basically country and blues music. So I like doing it. I love doing yeah. it. Yeah, it's in your wheelhouse. And I, then I sometimes I play with a local guy named Chet Vincent, who's singer songwritery type stuff cool um yeah no no tribute bands for the for the time no tribute bands would you though go back to one or no if if i had like a a good uh good gig you know like if i knew it was going to be on a good stage for a lot of people and there was going to be preparation that went into it sure there's this thing in pittsburgh right now called pittsburgh plays where they choose a band every year and they set up maybe four groups give or take yeah. four or five groups and they each do five or six songs last year it was queen the year before it was fleetwood mac um but that also it feels kind of like adult school of rock to me like you sign mm-hmm. up and you get placed in a band <laughs> and told what songs you're going to play and it's like no interest you know yeah. so if it was like my friends and we had a good venue and we were going to rehearse 
sure, I would play Steely Dan covers for a night or I'd go back to doing dead stuff or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Anything uh, like that. When you did uh, the dead stuff, were you playing the role of Jerry, essentially, or not? We there sort of two lead guitar. Like I, there was another lead guitarist in that band, so we were tra- yeah. kind of trading. There were two Jerry's. Yeah, but I I was always saying, you know, I I know Bob. So you just didn't want to be Bobby, it. right? <laughs> no one wants to be Bobby, right? Uh, <laughs> and he's the only one who's mine, still doing it. A friend of mine was at a at a uh, a dead show not long ago and he saw a bumper sticker that said Bobby fans are people too. <laughs> it really says it all. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I would do that again. It was fun, but it, I pretty quickly, it devolves into being something that's like kind of depressing once you've done three or four in a row. Yeah. That's fun to do. Cause you can screw it up and it sounds fine. You can be kind of sloppy. Cause they were kind of sloppy. Yeah. It's like uh, the right kind of seasoning. Yeah. The Dan is harder to do, but people do it. I mean, and they go for it. Like these Dan cover bands that are all over the country, they emulate the kind of big band format of, you know, the Steely Dan band. And it's, you know, usually 10, 12 people on stage. And there are a lot of them. I don't even know where all these people are come from. Power to them. I I respect anybody that would take on that challenge. It's just something that I would always feel like I was not doing 100%. So I just, I know better than to sign up for something like that when I, I'm never going to be happy with it. Yeah. And this is absolutely no disrespect to any of you listeners who are in a Steely Dan cover band, because I'm sure a few of you are. Absolutely. I actually, I actually think the hardest part of it is not the musicianship or learning the songs. It's capturing the voice. I think Donald's voice gives Steely Dan the sound that when you hear a cover band doing it, it always just something sounds a little off. And I've no, I think it's the voice. It's just hard to do it. It's just hard to pull off that mixture of those songs with the right vocal texture or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or attitude. Like I, I've watched, you know, I've watched some, some YouTube clips of these, these many bands, you know, there's Steely Dane, Steely Danish, the Brooklyn Charmers, only Dan. I mean, I could reel them off. Only Dan's is one of the better. Better names. That's good. I like yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> They're from uh, Baton Rouge. I mean, there's literally, you know, there's there's tons of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, the musicianship, the singing, you know, the they do it. You know, they do it. But I, I feel like it's just hard to capture the the, the attitude or the essence. Um, I also do think that um, if it had been the other way around and Donald had had passed before Walter, I don't think we'd be seeing Steely Dan touring. I don't know if that if you could pull that off. No, I don't think so. And that's not to say again that Walter was less, you know, crucial to to Steely Dan necessarily, but it's just like you could still tour a Steely Dan with Donald, but I, I feel like you couldn't with only Walter. So I think if when Donald, you know the day will come obviously at some point and, and then, you know, that'll that'll be the end. So when Walter passed, the first thing I thought of was how much I will miss the the spoken section of A19, <laughs> which I think I could almost recite from memory at this point. You know the um, from from the night you saw them, or just from a recording. He does it pretty much. He was doing it pretty much every time. I think where yeah. say you know, uh, now, by by that point the Chiba Chiba is gone, and you're starting to think, what is that? 
mysterious gold liquid or something like this right like it's right. uh it was that that part was always just one of my favorite moments well he would change them up i mean he would change them up every time i don't know if they were improvised or he'd actually i don't i don't know i mean they're good because i've i've listened to or watched a bunch of you know concerts and i feel like they're different every time i've seen them so that makes sense yeah he used a sense of humor right i mean i love donald but both of them are major heroes to me yeah but i think the, the snarkiness right was was walter yeah walter had the the acerbic wit was just so biting um i always you would know more about this than, than i do um outside of dylan i always think like what what groups could possibly have led into steely dan existing right like there's obviously some there's some dylan there there's some you know it's impossible to not be influenced by the beach boys or the beatles you know obviously um certainly blue note records and things like that um yeah but i i want to say at the rock and roll hall of fame he, uh walter brought up the mothers i know walter is a big fan yeah i um, love that yeah there was um well it's funny because he's still very divisive he hasn't had also like there's no Zappa shit going on besides people who are already in the Zappa thing. You know, it's not like people are jumping on the Zappa bandwagon now. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a Rolling Stone article from like 1974 where they mention each other. Like Zappa says something about like, oh yeah, Steely Dan, they're one of the best groups going right now. That's uh, awesome. And apparently Ruth Underwood was like a hardcore Steely Dan fan. That makes sense. And uh, kind of got Frank into them. And then uh donald and walter in a few interviews bring up they were fans of the mothers and apparently they actually saw them in like 1967 like an early mother's show is that possible that it would be that early yeah, 67 yeah sense. like either they they drove down from bard to the city to see the mothers because they were fans so yeah you're right they you, you know that they are and i'm i'm a fan and i know you're a fan and but you know not I, I see both sides. Some Steely Dan fans, I mean, you would think there's a lot of overlap there in terms of the humor and sort of the jazz uh, rock fusion of it. Um, but some are not down with that particular sense of humor. <laughs> it's a, it is a bit different, you know, and, and Steely Dan was doing, you know, they were bringing irony and these sort of sarcastic lyrics into their music, but it wasn't like, you know, satirical, I guess, in the same way that Zappa was. he got more uh, scatological as he got older as well. I think that's what a lot of people have in mind when they picture him. Talk about not eating yellow snow and zirconium encrusted tweezers and so on and so forth, you know? Uh, and to me, obviously his, his uh, greatest work is the middle period of the original mother's band. Uh, we're only in it for the money through, hot rats yeah was, i'm a big fan of that era right end of the yeah. right at the end rather of the of the original mothers the original mothers yeah yeah and if i had to guess that's probably what i feel like donald and walter would have been into as well if i had to guess but one does not picture them listening to shake your booty <laughs> no no that's that feels a little bit i don't know beneath them or something who knows? Um, 
Yeah. Imagine uh, like a hypothetical Zappa guest spot on a dance song. What wouldn't have worked is Zappa, I feel like, needed to be in control at all times. And that is not something that Donald Walter would relinquish under any, you know, circumstances. So, no, it probably wouldn't have worked, but. go back and, and look at it there's more stuff that walter plays leads on than than i always remember yeah like I, always I think there's think a lot of focus those. placed on these guys they brought in but you know walter played on a lot of it especially Josie, on the re yeah bez bad sneakers black friday that's all walter what about fm is that one of his or no fm yep. fm is him too right mm -hmm. but there's a couple solos on fm it might be him and someone else but I think that first one, that like, that thing in the intro, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Walter. Yeah. And then when they did the reunion albums, I feel like they, you know, used a fair amount of Walter too. Totally. It's just cool. Yeah, he's a huge, how do I want to put it? He, he, uh, his playing exemplifies a certain steely damnness. Yeah. Whether he's playing lead or, or rhythm. Uh, Although it's also worth mentioning that they used him towards the end about as much as they used any session musician. Like he's not on every song on Gotcha. Yeah. I was just looking at the credits for um, Babylon Sisters uh, recently. And um, Donald and Walter do not play on that song at all. It's literally all session guys. It's only Donald's vocals. That's the only credit to either Donald and Walter on that song. And it's one of the greatest dance songs. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're they are like I, I frequently compare them to like the Beach Boys of the seventies or something like that, where you know, like you're listening to Pet Sounds and it's just Brian. If any, if Brian's even there, you know, it might be an instrumental and Brian's in the control booth. Yeah, but it still so, all sounds like the same band, which is cool. Yeah, How they brought right. all these different. They're almost like, you know, I almost think of them as like filmmakers. You know, they're like directors making making a movie and they're bringing in all these different people to enact their vision. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Um, so right around Katie lied, you start to get Carlton. And obviously, you know, you, you can't say enough about the Charlemagne solo. He's, yeah, I think he improvised that. Like they brought him in and he just played that is insane that's <laughs> completely insane you know what I mean? that's the, one of the best guitar solos ever and it uh again those aren't easy chords to navigate there's a lot of weird changes in there yeah and the fact that he played things that are uh hummable but still uh still have that complexity still like reflect the 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 chord changes and everything oh man yeah that's just that's pretty awe-inspiring. Yeah. He also plays the, in my mind, the the really uh, iconic lead guitar part on Black Cow, which is okay. maybe one of the first things most people hear. You know, right. if they listen to Steely Dan for the first time. That's true. Asia, and, and you hear uh, 
da, 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 that thing. Yeah. That'd be Larry. There you go. Well, he also worked on some of the arrangements, I think, on Asia. So he was also doing, you know, some other things musically in terms of bringing that music to life. Why do you think Steely Dan just didn't make Larry Carlton their guitarist? Because I, I think he would have done it, you know. He plays on a lot of the songs, obviously, but why wasn't he just, you know, a full-fledged member of the band? Maybe they were just past that concept by that point. Yeah. He he almost did. You, know, you almost want to say that he is after a certain point. He's on so many tracks and in such uh, such important capacities. You can't imagine hearing the song The Royal Scam without Larry Carlton. For example, right? yeah. Uh, so I would, I, I just maybe tend to think that they were, they're just past the idea of a, of a working band, anything resembling a democracy. So why even go there? You know, it's like, like uh, <laughs> this is going to sound like a really stupid comparison, maybe, but like two people who just like having sex, <laughs> you know, like they're not going to complicate it by. Yeah. Uh, trying to, um, you know, make it into a relationship, meet the parents, you know, like they, <laughs> they, they knew that what they had worked. Yeah. Why complicate it with emotions? Right. I like that. Th that'd be my guess. But apparently it did become complicated because Larry felt very snubbed by his peg solo not being used. Mm -hmm. Because if you've seen the classic albums Asia episode, they like went through a whole bunch of solos before they landed on Jay Graydon. And Jay I think Lar Larry's was one of them. And obviously Larry did brilliant work. So I think he felt shafted by that omission. Yeah, I don't know. I guess Jay Graydon, I think, seemed to have brought something completely unique to the table, right? Like the um, sort of Hawaiian intro. There's just not something that... Um you know, that Larry was going to have thought of at the time. I, you know, Jay Graydon played with um, Al Jarreau, I think. That was like his main gig at the time. Yeah. And what, Went from Al Jarreau to Steely Dan. <laughs> and wrote After the Love is Gone. for. Uh, oh, he wrote that song? Fire. It's a great song. Great ballad. Definitely. Definitely. Him and David Foster. So a couple more to, to go through here. And these yeah. ones are what I would say are the real session musicians where their contributions are defined by how do i want to put it they're not supposed to stick out as much guys like uh steve Kahn, who's you know sort of similar mold to carlton like you bring him in for just really lush yeah jazz inflected playing he definitely is the guitarist on Babylon's sisters and plays the solo on my rival. Yeah, he's a big gaucho contributor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he shows up more and more as as you um go through the records. Uh Dean Parks is another. Famously plays the Haitian divorce solo with the talk box. Talk box, yeah. Mm -hmm. Love that. It's an excellent playing. Um and then oh Hugh McCracken is the other one. He plays on Hay nineteen, right? That the, the lead on the beginning of Hey 19. Yeah, which is a iconic iconic intro. He's one of those guys, like he's a real session musician. He plays one of the lead parts on Brown Eyed Girl. Oh yeah. He's on Ram. 
he plays the electric guitar on 50 ways to leave your lover like he'd been at it for a while this is like the definition of a session guitarist Hugh McCracken and then uh one more I've left I've left my favorite for 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 the last one uh my personal favorite guitarist of all time I know who it's going to be Mark Knopfler <laughs> right so they heard him playing Salt and the Swing and like everybody else at that time, you know, it's like, oh, wow, this is an incredible sound. And I think they had him play for like four hours or something like that to get the, the 30 seconds that they use for uh, time out of mind. But you can tell you put that that track on and uh, you instantly hear that's he's the one of the poster children for that, like single coil guitar sound that dinner. OK. You know, um, and you, you, you just hear the tone from from Psalms of Swing. Um, come off the record along with Steely Dan. Yeah, I think you know Fagan must have heard that and been like, "Can we get this guy?" You know, because that's that's the mentality they had. It was just like they would hear shit and be like, "Can we bring him in? Can we get him in?" You know. I don't think he enjoyed the experience. That's what I'm led to believe that like he he felt like they kind of just had him play and play and play and play and then chopped it up into something that was like not recognizable to him. But you know, I don't know if that's. That was the experience of most on the kind of the gaucho sessions was it's a lot of negativity and bad vibes. Right. right. And also this was the the depths of uh, Walter's heroin year. So it was just like yeah. Fagan was deep in whatever, you know, more of a workaholic, you know, obsessive perfectionist OCD kind of thing. So between the two was not a not a great time to be working with them. Um, and most of the stories that you hear about those years reflect that. So, it's so cool to me, though. You know, as a massive Dire Straits fan as well, to get to hear the the mashup of the two together. Is Knopfler really your favorite guitarist? Easily. What about what about him? Why is he your fave? I I think it's just one of those things like you don't control what you love. Not to say that I would, that yeah. would choose someone else, but like I can listen to him play for, for hours and, and enjoy all of it. He can, he can take a 10 minute solo and I will wish it was an 11 minute solo. <laughs> I just like the timbre. He, the play, timbre. he plays in a really unusual way. Um, like with, without a pick, you know, right. and he, he tends to play like, I think claw hammer style. So like a banjo player plays like, like a lot of people who finger pick tend to pick up. Like towards, towards their towards your face, maybe like with your fingers. And I think he tends to pick out with his fingers, hmm. which is just highly unusual for yeah for a guitarist. So is that how he gets his his sort of signature sound? Do you think? Because it is pretty recognizable. Yeah. Hypothetically, I don't think anyone can do it, but him. Really. Wow. I'm sure there's people who spent their whole lives learning to to mimic it. Right. And, and maybe some of those could trick me, but um, in general. I don't really, you know, never hear anyone that sounds like him exactly. Uh, and I just think he has a brilliant mind for, for playing uh, exactly what you're supposed to play at the time you're supposed to play it. Like no choice and timing and. Yeah. There's a soulfulness uh, is, is the best way I could describe it. And I don't mean that like literally, like it sounds like soul music, just like there's a, a melodicism. In, uh, he mixes blues and jazz and country in a way that uh, I just don't think other players maybe 
they just don't have that exact alchemy. Yep. Um, to <laughs> to the name of my favorite Dire Straits album, actually, <laughs> their their uh, live album from the mid '80s, uh, which is like really incredible, really super underrated. They they yeah. sound like a yeah, I've like not heard that Pink Floyd sort of on that record. Like they stretch out a lot, and there's a lot of synthesizers and things. This is Money for Nothing era now, right? It's right before. Right before, okay. So right, That's right cool. before. I'd like to hear that. The other than the only person I would say who's who's anywhere close to to Mark in my in my pantheon of great guitarists is Richard Thompson. I love Richard Thompson. Yeah. Don't think he would have mixed with the Dan very well. That's a different thing entirely. Yeah, because he's drawing more from folk and stuff. But as far as yeah, lead, lead guitar players go, those are those two stand. Head those are your two. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite uh, Dan guitarist, other than no, I'm not counting the Hoffler, is, is Carlton for sure. Yeah, that's my fave for sure. Yeah, um, cool man. Do you have what are what are your favorite solos in the in the? Do you have particular yeah. favorites? Absolutely, uh, I love Denny's solo on Bodhisattva, the first solo. Okay. Um, especially when he gets into that, when he starts to play fewer notes, like he starts off going real heavy in the bebop stuff. And then it's like, has that sort of uh, second half. I, I always uh, just sort of stop what I'm doing and focus <laughs> on it when I hear yeah. it. Uh, let's see. I think it's skunk on night by night. is like really burning on that solo. Oh yeah. That. Uh, we talked about it earlier. I, I love that. Uh, Second solo on Green Earrings, the the Elliot Randall one that's just balls to the wall. Yeah, crazy sounding. And then I mean, I've I don't know how many times I I picked through Charlemagne at this point. You know, <laughs> like I, that one's just it's very incredible. yeah. And it's just the definition of, of what can't be done with a guitar solo. On its own.